1889, the French government intended to hold an international exhibition to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution. They announced a design competition for a monument to be constructed in the central part of Paris. Lots of designers handed in their work, but only his work was selected. It was a plan of an iron tower that would completely change the face of the city. Welcome to Personality Matters. I'm Arthur Camps, and today we will be talking about Gustav Eiffel. Gustav Eiffel was born in France on December 15, 1832. From an early age, Eiffel took an interest in engineering, which to a great extent defined his choice of profession. You guessed it, he became an engineer. Eiffel worked on a couple of big projects of that time, among which were the famous Garabit viaduct, a movable dome for the Nice Observatory, and even the Statue of Liberty. He was not the chief engineer, though, but he was the one who created the support system for the statue. So Eiffel was involved in different projects during his career before he got to the creation of his major work, the Eiffel Tower. The construction of the tower started in 1887, lasted two years, two months and five days. The Eiffel Tower was finished in 1889, 324 meters high, it was made of 12,000 components and 2,500,000 rivets that were designed to handle wind pressure. On March 31, 1889, the Eiffel Tower was officially inaugurated in a ceremony run by Eiffel himself, attended by the French Prime Minister, other officials and 200 construction workers. At that time, the Eiffel Tower was not equipped with elevators yet, so Gustav went up the stairs and erected a huge French flag on the top of the tower. After that, there were fireworks, and then Gustav descended. When the Paris International Exposition opened, the tower was a kind of entrance to the big fair. With his extensive experience in constructing bridges, Eiffel showed a huge deal of ingenuity in what concerned the material economy. So, if the metal used in the tower was melted, it would occupy only two and a half inches deep. Actually, that was not the only way Eiffel demonstrated his genius. Consider this. The Eiffel Tower was not always perceived as one of the major symbols of Paris. Back then, lots of writers and intellectuals spoke out against it and even signed a petition to deconstruct it, as to their view it uglified the city's architectural style. One of the most ardent protesters was a writer named Guy de Maupassant, who, by the way, was absolutely okay to have lunch at the Tau Bay's restaurant, but he explained that Inside the tower was one of the few places where I could sit and not actually see the tower. Not bad as an explanation. Anyway, Eiffel had to protect his creation during its construction, and especially after it was finished. Fortunately, he had time to do that. Given that he covered 80% of construction costs, he was granted permission to keep the tower for 20 years to recoup the investment before the control over it was taken over by the French government. And the French government wanted to tear down the tower. 
so Eiffel had to find ways to save his creation and prove its use for something else. Well, it's not by coincidence people say, if you look for something, you will find it. In a way, Eiffel was lucky that just about that time the world saw the invention of the radio. He quickly realized that the tower could be used as a giant signal receiver, so he put up an antenna atop of the tower and paid for the experiments with wireless telegraphy. Those experiments attracted the attention of the French military, who appreciated the value of the tower being used as a sender and receiver of wireless messages. When the time came to demolish the tower, the French military convinced the government to postpone the demolition, pointing out the radio potential of the tower. Indeed, the Eiffel Tower proved its utility during the First World War in intercepting enemy messages coming from Berlin. One example is when the French went on the offensive, having found out that Germans had stopped their advance. A couple of years later, the French military installed a station on the top of the tower and managed to intercept a coded message between Germany and Spain about a secret operation Operative H21. Thanks to this message, the French caught a notorious spy Matahari, who worked for the Germans. Well, the Eiffel Tower remained the tallest structure in the world for almost 40 years, until its height was surpassed by the Empire State Building in 1930. Once the Eiffel Tower was used as a huge advertisement billboard for the French automobile company Citroën, the advertisement was so bright that it was actually visible at a distance of 20 miles. In 1944, the Eiffel Tower was again under the threat of being destroyed. The Allies were getting closer to Paris, and Hitler ordered General Dietrich von Schultz, who at the time was a governor of Paris, to annihilate the most remarkable historical and cultural monuments, including the Eiffel Tower. But the general disobeyed the order, thinking that the war was drawing to its close and that the rule of Hitler wouldn't last much longer. So he left Paris without destroying anything, and later he was recognized as a savior of the city. Certainly, Gustav Eiffel would have saluted the action if he had been around. And no doubt, Guy de Maupassant would have done the same. The Eiffel Tower got much more famous than its creator, but he probably knew long before that that it was bound to happen. He once said, I ought to be jealous of the tower, it's much more famous than I am. Today the Eiffel Tower is one of the major Parisian attractions and probably the most recognizable symbol in the world that has been visited by 250 million people over the years. Are you one of them? Thank you for watching Personality Matters. We talk about people who made the world. Until next time, I'm Arthur Kemps.